What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. You're listening to Spurs Cast, episode 583. My name is Paul Garcia, and I'm your host here on the Spurs Cast. Today, I'll be joined by Project Spurs and Spurs on Six writer Jonas Clark. In this episode, Jonas and I will discuss the Spurs' play in their first four seeding games and observations of some individual players. Let's get started. Jonas, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on here. Um, you know, we're glad to have you have you here on the Spurs Cast for the first time. Can you give the listeners? Um, I know that if uh, Spurs Cast, if you've seen Project Spurs, you've been seeing some of Jonas's articles lately. But then also over on Spurs on Six, he, he writes for us over there as well. Can you give the the, the uh, listeners some background of yourself? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're from San Antonio, you might have heard me uh, on the airwaves of Ticket Seven Sixty, where I got my start here in the city, just um, working the boards uh, for the afternoon shows over there and filling in on the mornings occasionally. Um, and since then, you know, right after that, I got picked up with Project Spurs, started covering the Austin Spurs uh, last fall. And, you know, what a, what a better year to come into it when you've got three great rookies, two first round draft picks and a lot of hype around that team. So, you know, it's been a, a great time covering the, the team this year. You know, it, the Austin Spurs were, were in position to make a playoff run this last year before the G League uh, season halted. And ultimately, you know, did cancel, um, you know, their season back in June. And, um, you know, it's been work doing that. And, uh, you know, the Spurs takeovers uh, on game react. For sure. Uh, and, yeah, and so I'm really glad to have you on here because I, I do want to, because the Spurs are playing so many of their of their, of their current Austin players in, in these um, these bubble games, I really want to get your input because you've seen more, more tape on these guys. Uh, than, than, than most people. So uh, let's begin, Jonas. We're going to first begin by recapping uh, the, the first four games because last week when I recorded with Michael DeLeon, they hadn't played an official game yet, a bubble game. They mm-hmm. had just played their scrimmages. So we're going go to go through a quick quick little recap of where they stand. Uh, so the Spurs are 2-2 two and two to start this their, their bubble schedule with four games left unless they make the playoffs. Uh, so, so let's go back to last Friday. They, they defeated the Sacramento Kings in their first bubble game by nine points. DeMar DeRozan led the way with 27 points. He had 10 assists. On Sunday, they got a win against the Memphis Grizzlies by two points. DeJounte Murray led the way with 21 points and 10 rebounds. Then on Monday, they lost a crucial game to the Philadelphia 76ers by two points. Uh, Derek White missed a key free throw there in the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, if you watch the game, and then Dejounte Murray uh, made a mistake on defense where he let he left Shake Milton open from three, and Milton hit the, hit like the dagger for for the Sixers. So that was that was a, a crucial loss for San Antonio there. And then on Wednesday, um, 
the, the Nuggets were missing a few players, the Denver Nuggets, a few starters, but uh, the, the Spurs still couldn't beat them. Um, they, they lost by six points there. They were in it for most of the game and even had a lead uh, or tied the game at least in the fourth quarter, but Denver was just too much their size uh, on, on the boards. They had 14 offensive boards. And then in the fourth quarter, the biggest difference, I, I wrote an article on Project Spurs, was, was just the difference in made threes mm-hmm. in the entire game. And in the fourth quarter, Denver got, got away with th- uh, five made threes. So, uh, Jonas, just kind of give me your um, just kind of your initial reaction of these, these last You know, games. I mean, it, obviously when you start off with two wins, you can say that you started off pretty good. Um, but we knew that we were – I think if you really look at the matchups, those are two games we were also going to match up very well in terms of length. Uh, you got two smaller guard-centered uh, teams in the Kings and the Grizzlies before you get into you know uh, a more front-court heavy in the Sixers and then ultimately the Nuggets uh, last night. So – it's it's been an up and down roller coaster. Uh, I'm still seeing not everything I want to see, but we are seeing a better team out there. I know you did share a stat out there today about um, you know the, the Spurs shooting more threes, uh, or, or maybe not even more threes, but keeping pace with their opposition in terms of threes. And we're only a minus three in terms of the three point shots uh, this to this point in Orlando. And so that shows, you know, there's a, a point where lots of people were wondering if coach Popovich could coach in the, in the three ball era because of his unwillingness before to focus on, on shooting from range. And I think that we are seeing, you know, the NBA is running with this tag, a whole new game for the Orlando bubble. And we're seeing a whole new Spurs team, you know, granted there's the influx of the guys from, Austin, but the real difference maker is Keldon Johnson. He's the only one coming up from Austin to get real minutes outside of, you know, Drew Eubanks, even though he's not, hasn't worked his way past Jakob Pertl in terms of minutes. But uh, Keldon Johnson is up there and he's starting to pull down 20 minutes a game. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to talk a little bit about, about some of those stats that you mentioned there about the three-point shooting and then also Keldon. Uh, and, and kind of what, what you said there, you know, I, I just feel like it, it depends what your expect, expectation was of this team. I mean, if I, I just actually went back and looked at, at a stat from um, July 8th. Uh, Bet Online, a, a betting website, had actually said, you know, the over-under for the Spurs would be three three wins. And so think about that. You know, they're, they're only halfway through these games, but mm-hmm. they've already got two wins already under their belt. So there's a chance that they could even could even beat those, those expectations for them because the expectations weren't very high for this team. But now all of a sudden, you know, they've already got two wins. Uh, they've played really well against two good teams in, in Philly and then uh, uh, Denver as well. You know, that those were actually winnable games for them. They were they were in position at different times to win those games. Cause, so they could be 4-0 right now. Um, but, uh, you know, at, at the other case, mm-hmm. they could also be 0-4. So, so, yeah, so, so let's really dig into this team and see how they're doing. So one thing I'm really excited to discuss now is um, actual real data. So I know that last week um, Mike and I w- were talking about this new starting lineup. You know, we had seen them in three games and three scrimmage games, but that was only scrimmages, so we couldn't really – the NBA right. doesn't track that data. So now we actually have some real hard data here that we can actually look at with, with the starting lineup of DeJounte Murray – Lonnie Walker the fourth, Derek White, Demar Derozan, and, and Jakob Pertl through four games. Okay, so according to Cleaning the Glass, um, they, they've played in seventy-eight possessions together. They started off really strong, you know, these these crazy, really good numbers where they were really holding the teams down defensively. I think that was just Sacramento and Memphis, but then now it's kind of gotten away for them. So now in seventy-eight possessions, they're a minus four point eight points per one hundred. Uh, they score one nineteen point two points per one hundred and allow one twenty-four point one on defense points per 100 so what we're seeing here is that their defense is giving away too many points that even though their offense is really good it's better than what they left off with at, at the at the pause of the season they um they're just not keeping up with what with, with the amount of points their defense is giving up so so my question uh, i have a few questions here for you jonas what do you think here do you think that um opponents are starting to figure them out now that they're actually watching tape on this five-man group 
Um, do you think that it's maybe a, a lack of size that's kind of getting exposed when they played um, the, the Sixers recently and also the, uh, the, uh, the, the Nuggets with Jokic and, and those other uh, um, big, big men? Or do you think the sample size is just too, way too small? Stuff? I think that it really comes down to lack of size. Um, I, I think that okay. especially because most of this lineup was consistent or, or, or these guys we've seen uh, before the season stopped, right? Lonnie is, is a new insertion into that starting lineup. And, of course, Jakob is. Um, but Jakob doesn't quite bring as much to the table as a LaMarcus Aldridge or a Trey Lyles. I understand, you know, the advanced stats of how much he really helps, you know, in, in immeasurable or unnoticeable um, categories when you're just watching a basketball game. But when you break down the – get deep into the numbers, you can see his impact. But I think that it's just – it just comes down to that lack of size and, and that bully ball. If you look back at that Memphis game, they started really strong, Memphis did, in terms of using Jonas Valanciunas. And he was kind of eating Pirtle alive. And then for some, for whatever reason, they got away from that. And decided to run the ball through jaw a little bit more when uh, the post was really our weakness. And then when you go up against the Kings, the Kings don't have a real post presence either. Uh, so mm-hmm. size wasn't really going to be a factor in that game. It was really going to come down to guard play ultimately. And that's what happened. And then you look at these last two games and you're just going up against two top tier NBA teams. Uh, the Sixers are in, the, I think, the top five in the East. And then you've got the number three Nuggets. Um, and and they both have the the upper echelon of big men in terms of Jokic and and Joel Embiid. And when you get to, when you see that difference and you see how they're able to push around our our one piece of size in Jakob Pertl, I think that's where it is. So the sample size isn't too small. I think we've gotten to see enough of most of these guys. Like I said, outside of Lonnie and outside of Keldon, uh, all these guys have been on the court together before the break. So those are our really only the two new insertions um and and i think that teams kind of figured that out before that we were just a lot of guard play and we didn't have a whole lot of post presence so it's just games uh, teams playing their game against us and we're just not big enough to handle it yeah and um you know so, so, something i go back to too is like think about thinking about that philly game where Jakob got in, in foul mm-hmm. trouble really really early so you know they had a they had to right away go to go to Drew Eubanks, and they had some trouble there. But then also, um, you know, you look at like you said, I think that the size is a huge difference. I know that when you look at the boards, it doesn't look that bad the, uh, in terms of offensive rebounding for the opponent, except for that that Denver game. The Spurs had actually been doing well on the boards of cleaning up. But but you see the effects though, because we're going to get through some of this data, and uh, you do notice that that you you think like you know a, a team with a bunch of wings, you know, of, of younger players that they'd be out on the break, and they're actually not getting a lot of fast break points. They're actually one of the, right. the, the least scoring teams from the fast break on offense, and the reason for that is because Coach Pop is. That you guys need to help rebound um, on, on on possessions on defense because you know the, you know the, the one big man either whether it's Drew Eubanks or Jakob they can't get all the rebounds out there so we are seeing that they're not getting to use that speed advantage that they do have because of their lack of size um, and so yeah so, so that's something I wanted to note and then I also go back to Demar Derozan there at the four I know that now he's not really having to guard a lot of wings um, out on the perimeter anymore like he normally does he's having to guard players like Jaron Jackson Jaron uh, Jackson Jr. before he got hurt when he played when mm-hmm. the Spurs played Memphis also I, I go back to Tobias Harris had a really good game so he even like those bigs, even though Demar's also playing out of position defensively, he's um, he's going against some players that still have an advantage over him um, on on his defense. Uh, let's talk about some of the starters and, and just offensively now how they've how they've um, how they've played. Um, Solani uh, is averaging ten and a half points per game here in the bubble uh, in the starting unit. Dejounte Murray twelve point three points and three assists. 
Uh, I did note it because even when I look at their offensive, uh, I did note it because even when I look at their offensive rating and some of their advanced numbers, those two players. Um, but it just seems like when when they don't have the ball in their hands, they don't really know. You know, so surprisingly, I, I, you you would think DeRozan's the one who has trouble not not knowing what to do when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. But he's actually been really right. good uh, at just being efficient in the time he he, he gets to, to make some plays. So so I do see Lonnie and Murray struggling there. You know, you don't you don't expect a lot from Jakob to in scoring wise, but you know, again, he has had some some trouble where the Spurs guards and wings got to get into the lane. They, they give him like an easy pass to try to finish, and he. He's had um, a lot of trouble just finishing over different bigs here in this bubble play. Uh, Derek White's been really strong as a starter. Um, 21.3 points per game, 5.5 assists. Uh, he's, he's, he's launching 8.3 three-point attempts and shooting very well, 46% from three. And then DeRozan, uh, 22.3 points and then also 7.3 assists. Um, so, and they're very efficient in their minutes on the floor. Uh, so what have you thought about um, the, offensively the starting group? Offensively, you know, it, the when we first had those first two games and against the smaller lineups, the young guys, you know, Lonnie came out a little bit hotter and Derek came out a little bit hotter. And right now it's taking uh, Derek. He's really getting his numbers in that second half. Uh, him and DeJounte both, even though DeJounte's numbers aren't quite up there, but they're both kind of waking up in the second half. But it's that first quarter when they come out on that first unit, and and that's where we're having some real, I don't know if it's just, you know, motivation issues or it's taking them a little bit extra to warm up their shot or whatever it is. Um, But the scoring is fine. And and as a unit, when they come back out in the second half and, and Pop goes back to that starting lineup down the stretch, I think that you can see them anchor down and they play well then. So my question really just becomes what's going on in the first quarter uh, to have them kind of out of sync and out of sorts and just not quite checked in yet. Uh, And then they're obviously they're checked in in the fourth quarter, but every game so far has been crunch time in the fourth quarter. So uh, you can see that they're checked in because the play, you know, the, the play mirrors that. And it, 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 the situation almost forces them to be checked in. But when we're just starting off a game, they almost look mostly disinterested. And like you said, your movement without the ball has been a little bit, uh, a little bit rough. Ronnie, uh, Alani Walker has, has found himself in a good spot for the, you know, for like a good open corner three. He's gotten good at that. Um, yes, and that's sure. definitely his mm-hmm. shot, but you don't see him maybe going there enough. And so I'd like to see that a little bit more, but, um, Offensively, there's not a whole lot more you can do. I, one thing I might see, you might say, we see here um, is, and if we had a couple more games, I think you would definitely see it. Would be maybe swapping out Lonnie Walker for a Keldon Johnson. He's starting to take some of his minutes already, and I think that yep. you know when when you break it down, you can kind of just sort of see where Keldon's come to a point of equaling Lonnie, who had I think 32 minutes in the first game. And he's averaging now around that 20, 22 minutes per game. And Keldon's is on the rise. So I, I think that if there's a point where uh, Keldon's going to pass him. And I think that's that also just goes to the fact that, you know, it, it's it's easy to say about the young guys. But I think that Keldon's still just more talented overall than as, as a scorer from inside, outside, defense, everything than what you have from Lonnie Walker. I think he's Lonnie's a great sixth man. But I don't think he's quite starter material yet. Okay, yeah, and um, so, so like one thing you brought up a good point I, I hadn't even thought about until you just mentioned this. So I do wonder that now that you know, Coach Pops talked about this, 
talked about this and also DeMar DeRozan, where like in the first half, DeRozan doesn't want to, you know, be the guy who takes over mm-hmm. immediately. You know, he's been saving that for the fourth quarter. And we've seen that a lot where he's really stepped up in the fourth. So I do wonder if that has part, part, part to do with it. The fact that like Derek's starting now, so maybe they think he should be the guy that starts off the games you know, as, as their main playmaker when it used to be DeJounte and LaMarcus as well, you know, and, and then LaMarcus isn't there. So, so maybe there's, there's part of that of like who really kicks off possession. Cause I know, I know Pop says, you know, we don't really have a playmaker. Anyone can start our, our offense. Uh, he said that recently, but you know, really they, they do have a play, whoever's going to, you know, initiate the pick and roll, whoever's going to call whatever sets they're going to use. And so I do wonder if maybe there's, there's some like, like juggling back and forth of, of who, who starts off the game in terms of, um, you know, who's taking over first. And so, so, uh, you know, lately we've been seeing Derek do that um, for the most part. So I wonder if that's part of it. And then like you mentioned, you know, whether or not we sh- they, they, whether or not they should continue running the same lineup or else change it, I, I would agree there that if there was going to be a change, I would I would definitely put um, a Keldon in place, Alani, just for for both of their sake. Where Keldon's you know mm-hmm. a bigger defender uh, and he's able to score without you know having the ball, and we're we're seeing that he has like he he's basically scoring on secondary action right. almost all the time. And then also uh, defensively, you know, he's really good and he has that advantage. Then Lonnie would get more opportunities off the bench because really it's just Rudy, Rudy Gay out there who, who knows how to create for that second unit. And so Lonnie would maybe have a little bit more responsibility rather than just shooting corner threes from what he's been able to do and play out in the open court. Yeah, for sure. And he'd be able to handle the ball a little bit more too where you could maybe see him coming up the court with the ball and create his own shot. He has that athleticism to be able to do that, but there's just so many playmakers, like Pop says, there's so many playmakers on that first starting unit that – you really need any of them can run the offense and can get the can get the game started but right now it almost seems too like everybody's a little bit hesitant to figure out who that guy is nobody's willing to take you know take ownership and just say okay I'll be that guy right now um Derek you know it wants to get it started we already know DeMar wants to defer but somebody's got to start making shots and we see a lot of a, we see a lot of passing but then it doesn't turn into a whole lot in that first yeah, for sure. So, so we'll see how, how they continue to mesh uh, and whether Pop keeps that starting unit. Uh, let's move over to the bench, which has been a really, really good. You know, just the Spurs bench continues to be one of their one of their one of their strengths, whether they're missing players or not. So um, they've they've won in, in all four games so far. They've outscored their opponent, the bench. Uh, you know, the opponent bench between sixteen and twenty seven points in each game. Uh, they are in twenty three possessions. The, the group of um, of, of Quindaria Weatherspoon, Patty Mills, Drew Eubanks, Keldon Johnson, and Rudy Gay, the five of them, they in 23 possessions. They're outscoring teams by 7.7 points per 100, and they're doing a lot of that with offense, uh, scoring 130.4 points per 100 and, and um, holding defenses to 122.7 points for 100 so they're mm-hmm. just like a scoring machine uh rudy gay like me and mike kind of saw this coming last week you know because in those scrimmages i saw that rudy was putting up you know 20 plus point games and he just has a lot more responsibility a lot more of a role than what he was getting when when, when lamarcus was there when trey lyles was there so because of the lack of big men and because there's not a, not a lot of players who can create in the second unit rudy's really relied upon it so he's really stepped up 19.8 points per game he's averaging right now in the bubble Keldon johnson's a, a quickly stepped up 13 points per game he's already hit his career high in scoring twice uh in doing that and and as i made some videos recently he does this without even mm-hmm. running pick and roll without you know getting set set for i mean running the offense in the half court he does it off catching a pass from somebody who drove in and then either driving or shooting a three he does it in the open court he does it in, in playing one-on-one by just seeing that he's he's faster than his defender and bigger and stronger and he can finish so Keldon's just completely you know you know making making a lot of growth here and not only that uh pop mentioned this after the last game that he's his three-point shot is really um, su- surprisingly doing really well. So in the bubble, he's making 67% of his threes in the bubble. And for the season, I know he, he only played nine games prior to the bubble, uh, he's shooting 57% for the season. So as I was you know, writing an article about him last night, I did wonder, you know, how did he shoot in the G League? And so I looked that up, and he was, I think it was um, it, it was something uh, like, like 39 of 93. It was 25% mm-hmm. from three in the G League. So since you've watched more Keldon in the G League, I did want to ask you, 
what do you attribute this um this 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 um this uh the, the, this surge in three point shooting for him? Do you think that it's because pro- maybe he worked on it during the off season, during the, the the shutdown and just got a lot better, or do you think right now it's just too small of a sample size and he might just he might regress to the mean like how he was in the G? You know, the sample size might get a little bit smaller, but especially when I look at consider G League stats, um. You know, there, there's a learning curve when you first come into the G League and, uh, and and trying to figure out who you are within the Spurs system. And especially for being a first-round pick, they're trying to kind of get you set into your role, you know, um, about, mm-hmm. hey, it's you know, we're not going to run everything through you. You're going to have to be you – know, but we still have these developmental goals for you for San Antonio. And – so I always kind of take those first couple months of the G League season with with a grain of salt. But then, as you saw him develop on it, you know, throughout the seat throughout the year, he got a lot more consistent. I really believe, and I think that's probably what you're seeing. Even though the sample size might be a little bit small, and this will definitely taper off. You can't continue to shoot 67 percent from yeah. <laughs> from range. But I think that what you're seeing a lot from Keldon is a lot. He's shooting in motion. If that makes sense, he's it's a fluid shot rather than a forced shot mm-hmm. is what I'm seeing a lot from him, and he's just with better talent too. Nothing against the Austin Spurs, but it's a developmental league. There's, there's a reason they used to call it the D League, right? Um, so you're work, you're working with other guys down there uh, who might find you out of position or might get or might not feed you in the right spot, you know, and, and stuff like that. So I think that playing with the better talent. That he that we've got at this level uh, is going to help him with with just overall shot selection. But like you said, you know he's he's great at just creating his opportunity, and he's not doing so much off the pick and roll. This is just finding him in space, and so you're just asking yep. a scorer mm-hmm. to score. And I don't think that uh, you could probably break down the stats, but I don't. I wouldn't say that most of his threes have been heavily contested. No, no. I think I think I looked at it. It's like seventy nine percent have been wide open. So and so that just comes wide open. But yeah, that just comes down to making the shot you're supposed and, and, to make. Then. Yeah, for sure. And like what I'm seeing, at least at least whenever I watch tape, is that it just feels like he he reads yeah. the defense so well. Like he already knows what he's going to do. If if he catches it and he knows that his defender's running at him, he's he's going to drive by him. If uh, he thinks that he has the room and he can get his shot, like you mentioned, a fluid shot, he's going to he's going to put it up from three. And he's getting you know he's getting it to fall for now. So Keldon's been really um, impressive here at the start of this at the of the of this um, four game um, seeding games. Let's move on to another player who's coming from the Austin system. That's Drew Eubanks. Um, you know he's averaging seven points off the bench with this um, second unit right now in the bubble games, and he's just been really good. Um, you know he's been having some crazy um, you know highlight blocks on. <laughs> on the defensive end, but then on offense, um, you know, his little jump hook is just like a patented shot for him. You know, I expect him to make it every single time. Uh, and he's just, you know, always in the right place at the right time. Can you talk about what, what you, what you've like seen from, from, from Eubanks here since you saw him as well. I think we're seeing a much better improved Eubanks. Uh, he's, he's a guy who's made a couple of appearances in San Antonio before, but he's always kind of mm-hmm. played to his size where he looks six foot nine out there. But this, uh, this Austin, uh, this Austin opportunity for him coming into Orlando now is honestly, a whole, again, to use the NBA's phrase, it's a whole new Eubanks um, where he's able to rebound in situations where uh, he's got him beat on his back and he's the one and he's able to knock him beat out of the way and still come down with, with that rebound or even force it back up. 
we talked earlier about maybe Jakob, you know, is missing some of those point blank opportunities and he's just failing to use his size. And I think that Drew is kind of hitting above his weight class right now, which is phenomenal to see for a player who you know, went undrafted out of Oregon, Oregon State, uh, got a two-way opportunity with the Spurs, and now he's in a contract year with his two-way contract, you know, expiring after the season. So he's playing with house money. And when you look at, you know, what Drew did at um, at Austin, he averaged 15.9 points per game and, and shot, you know, right around 63%. I think we're seeing most of that continue uh, even as a backup role. He's starting to contribute more in the rebounds and in the scoring than what we see from Jakob Pertl. So uh, this is the development you want to see from these guys. And this is a, he's a two-year project. You know, he's coming at the end in at the end of year two. And this is what you've been waiting for to see from him. Um, he's playing himself into an opportunity, hopefully, with San Antonio. I know I wrote earlier this year that I didn't think that he was going to find a spot, that we were just too crowded uh, you know, with too many guys standing at six foot nine, you know, mid two hundreds. But I think he's he's easily playing his way into uh, the lineup for me for next year for the roster. Yeah, uh, you know, I I've really changed my 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 outlook on him as well. You know, in a lot of my cap projections, I've always had them just mm-hmm. kind of not bringing him back. Uh, like you said, because of the because of the limited roster size, um, you know, they're gonna have too many players. So I actually think that that might change now. I mean, his first of all, his contract is really good. Uh, he's got a he could be a restricted free agent this offseason for one point six million. So I mean, they could just tender him that, that that qualifying offer to have him for at least one more year next year as a as a restricted free agent. So I really want to see what's gonna happen. And yeah, yeah, like you, you you basically described his game really well. He's he's been playing really well. I don't want to spend a lot of time on Patty Mills, but he has been impressive. Just the fact that he sat out all of um the scrimmage games because he was basically forced to. The coaching staff didn't want him to. Play. They wanted to give the, the young guys some minutes, but then all of a sudden it, you know, people got injured, so then they needed him to play. But he's already coming off the bench in three games with 10.7 points per game. Just typical Patty's hitting all his shots, playing to nat- with a lot of tenacity, a lot of fire, um, creating extra plays uh, on defensive end. So, you know, you know, Patty, how he is just doing his you – know, it's funny, too, because of him. You know, we asked him, you know, it's been months since you've played real basketball. And he's like, for me, it's just like riding a bike. You know, you just it never mm-hmm. goes away. You just know how to do it. So, yeah, so Patty's just been impressive like, like usual. But the player that's really um, been intriguing to me is, is Quindary Weather because, you know, he didn't get a lot of time in San Antonio before the shutdown. Um, and so, you know, I, I just want you, maybe if you can kind of give, give the listeners and myself as well, just kind of a little scouting profile on him, with how, how his game was developing in Austin. And my big question to you is, now that I've actually watched him in real games uh, lately, I, I do want to know, you know, does he tend to avoid those those open threes? Because I've seen the defense go under on him a lot. And is, is it maybe him just adjusting to, to maybe not wanting to take shots because, you know, he's, a, he's the newest guy on the team and getting some minutes? What, what do you think about his three-point um, shooting as well? You know, his three-point shooting, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, you, you do see him missing some open ones. But I think that that's more of the Spurs system where he's he's still thinking about the game a little bit, especially at the San Antonio level and making sure that he's providing his role and in that ball movement where he might be second-guessing whether he really has an open shot or if there's a better look that's going to be for a more efficient shot mm-hmm. than himself. Uh, in Austin, you know, he only took four three-pointers per game. Um, so he wasn't a high-frequency shooter. I think he ended up uh, third on the team in terms of uh, three-point efficiency at 33.3%. Now, that's uh, I qualify that at, with, with shooters who shot more than three attempts per game. Because you got some guys, you know, who are, might be shooting 100%, but they only made one attempt. You know, if you look at Drew Eubanks at the San Antonio yeah. level, he's only shot one three-point attempt, but he's 100%. Uh, 
Um, so I qualify that with three or more. That qualifies you as a shooter on that team. And so he, he ranks third behind, you know, uh, who you would expect to be in terms of, you know, Jeff Ledbetter, Ledbetter kind of leads the team in three-point shooting in Austin. So uh, Quindary, is a, is just, he's a pure scorer. And we knew that coming out of uh, Mississippi State where he he led he ran their offense through him and so now he in Austin he was learning another role and so I think that that might be the hesitance that you kind of see from Quinn at a, you know at times in in San Antonio where they're trying to get him to be more of a contributor and a facilitator uh, and he was uh in in the tops of the team in terms of assists too in San Antonio so or in, in Austin so I could see him where they're trying to make him more of a facilitator at the next level uh, because when you can combine that with his ability to score uh, at the beginning of the new year, right at the in the start of January, coming out of out of 2019, Quindary had two games where he back to back went for 30 plus points, um, and oh, just wow. went on a tear. And what you don't see from him quite yet is consistency. And I think again at the Austin level, it's kind of, it's a little hard to gauge when you have three or four guys being Drew Eubanks, Chemezi Metu, even. Um, you know, down there, and then uh, Luca Shamanich that you're trying to develop, and Kelvin on top of Quinn. So I think every every night they tried to get different guys involved, and so uh, usually Kelvin went off, and then you would get somebody else to go off with him. And I think that Quinn Derry is one of those guys that's still trying to find his fit, and especially where he fits on this team uh, at this level. I don't think he wants to be quite just a three point shooter. And he's always going to be wise and look for the better shot. And that could lead to a little bit of hesitance, too. Okay, okay. Yeah, and also he's made some some some, um, some interesting oh, yeah. defensive plays as well. So, And you can tell that, you know, you can tell that Pop's a little bit more intrigued in, in terms of try, trying to see what he can do out on the floor because, you know, he could have easily just uh, benched Quindary and just gone back to Patty Mills and then Marco Bellinelli back in there as well in the lineup. But instead he wanted to run a lot of Patty Mills and, and Quindary together. So he really wants to see what Weatherspoon has. And so he's given him this opportunity for now. And, and like I said, I, you know, I've been kind of impressed by, by what I've seen. And at, that's at a great thing, well. too, because um, Quindary, just like yeah. Drew – his two-way contract is up. He was only a one-year two-way contract, um, which, which yep. is, is kind of bittersweet. So you, so I think that at this, at this point, because the team does have to make a decision on him, I think they're considering him heavy when you look at the, you know, when you look at the minutes that he's starting to get. It's a lot of first-half minutes, I think, because Pop is still trying to win these games in the second half. But when he's out there, you can see him doing a lot of the right things. And like you mentioned on defense, uh, him and Keldon both from Austin are bringing a lot of that fight. They really go for the steal or go for the or, or go for the swipe on every given play, a uh, defensive possession, you know, offensive possession for the other team. And so um, they're always attacking the attacking the ball, attacking the offense, and then on offense, they're just attacking the rim. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, like I said, that bench unit's been really good. Now um, we're going to move on to our next topic, which is kind of deals with like, what we mentioned earlier, which is swapping some players from the starting lineup. So uh, one thing that one of our fellow um, Project Spurs members, um, team members, uh, 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 emailed me earlier or, or notified me and asked me, you know, what are the stats with Keldon Johnson and, and Derek White? And so I was like, okay, let me let me check here. And so I looked up their, their numbers when they're on the floor together this season, 
And wow, are they off the charts here? Um, so according to Cleaning the Glass, in 206 total possessions this year, this whole season, not just the bubble, they are outscoring teams by 24.3 points per 100. They're scoring 128.6 points per 100. Um, that's, that's, that's an elite offense right there. And then defensively, this is one of the better groups, uh, at least when they're, they're on the floor, they're holding opponents to 104.3 points per 100, which is the 93rd percentile, which is like barely worse, like barely, just barely worse than like what the Milwaukee Bucks do on defense. They're like the best defense in the league. So these two players have been really good and this goes back to prior to the to the shutdown of the season you know they were playing in lineups off the bench together with like LaMarcus Aldridge and Trey Lyles at times and even those lineups were really good with the data so so you are seeing that whenever Keldon and and Derek are on the floor together uh they're really really make, uh scoring well but then also um you know holding teams down and, and you see why you just know that both of those those two players are two of the Spurs' best wing defenders uh, like we mentioned about Derek, he's able to create for himself and for others. And then Keldon, you know, if Derek gets in the ball, uh, he's able to, you know, quickly score whether it's a driving to the lane or now they shooting threes as well. So, so again, like if they do go make make a change in the starting lineup, you you might see Derek and Keldon start playing uh, in the same starting group together. What do you think about that combo? I mean, it's it's lockdown, you know, and and I think that they've seen it. I think that right now Pop is just trying to maybe get a little bit more out of Lonnie, which is why he keeps challenging him with that starting lineup. Um, he, he almost wants – he and this might be a rough way to look at it, but he almost wants – if he's going to put move Keldon up there in the long run, he'd almost rather Lonnie lose that spot than, you know, to, to go ahead and make the, the coaching decision to jump Lonnie in his production and just go ahead and immediately put Keldon up there. Um, but, I mean, it's lethal. And you talked about this before, too, and we see it, we see it with Derek. You know, it's pretty obvious the way that he sees the game – before things happen he's one of the most instinctive and just he I mean he reacts really well but he anticipates what's going to happen and that's why you see him pulling the charges that he does it's why you see him getting to the free throw on a free throw line consistently because he's able to work his way to a to a foul and Keldon has that same kind of mindset where he sees things happen first, which is how you can how you can see him bully himself through the lane. But he already saw where his steps were going to be before he made those steps. And you, that instinctiveness turns around and, and helps them both on the defensive side of the ball. So what I really like about this about this combination is this gives you the opportunity if the team were to hold on to somebody like a Bryn Forbes because of their defensive shutdown between the two of them, you could run somebody like a Bryn Forbes who you know is is rather poor on defense and put him out there at the two, put Kel, uh, put Keldon at the three and Derek at the one, and then between the two of them they can I I really believe pick up the slack uh, for Bryn Forbes's defense. But then still, you, you, you only gain on the offensive end of the floor. You don't lose anything because you've got two elite scorers uh, in, in Derek and Keldon. And then, and then the, um, the hot streak, you know, that can be Bryn Forbes. Yeah, for sure. So, so we'll see. You know, if um, you know whether they start getting more minutes together, or if, or if they actually make a, a lineup change that would start a unit. So, so we'll, we'll kind of see. All right. So, uh, Jonas, the last topic I do want to discuss is you know, I'm, like I said, I'm really excited that we actually have real games now, so we actually get some real data. So we are. So I, I have these crazy spreadsheets, and I have like one that has all the pre, you know, shutdown data, and then I have all the post shutdown data, the the bubble data. So like, I, I started to take away some little trends here from the four games, and, and here's some things that I've noticed in terms of their offense. So, so what we're seeing on offense from the Spurs is there's a 
a slight increase in paint shots. So what do we know? Attribute that to well, there's a lot of more wing defenders, players that are attacking the paint, so they're they're getting to the rim more because they're losing that that, that you know that posted presence or that that pick and pop presence of Lamarcus Aldridge and, and Trey Lyles. Uh, they are also getting mm-hmm. to the free throw line more. Their, their free throw rate has increased as well uh, in these bubble games. What I have seen a decrease in, uh, which is a good thing in a way, but just barely, is a slight decrease in mid range jump shot attempts. And then also, they're, they're, even though you know you think that that they'd have uh, they shoot more threes because like no Lamarcus or, or Trey Lyles for some reason, uh, they're not actually shooting that many more threes. It's just a slight decrease in three point attempts. Uh, on defense, what have we seen? This is ob- very obvious. It's because they're playing smaller. They're going to get attacked in the, in the middle, of the, in the paint. And so what, what are we seeing? Uh, teams are definitely um, shooting way more shots in the restricted area against them. Actually, six and a half more. That's a mm-hmm. lot per game. Um, they're also um, teams are not taking those floater range shots, the non-restricted area shots, because obviously they're getting closer to the rim. They're also not shooting mid-range shots, which is what you want to force the team to do, because again they're getting closer to the rim. And then um, threes, they're, um, they're they're actually shooting less threes. So I, I do. That's the one thing about playing these smaller lineups is that teams aren't shooting as many threes, and the Spurs are contesting them better. T- I, I've looked at the, the the percentage of shots from uh, from opponents that are wide open, and they're not as wide open uh, against this this current Spurs team. And then just looking at the math game in the bubble. Um, they're a minus 14 on two. So this is looking at paint two, twos and um, mid-range shots. So uh, that was usually one of their biggest strengths before the, the before the shutdown. Like we we mentioned, we attribute that to the, the lack of size. But the area where they're really closing down, the, one of their, their their biggest weaknesses is the three-point line. Like you mentioned, they're only a minus three right now on, on three-point shots against the opponent. So they're, they're basically limiting opponent threes, but then also scoring well with them. And so they're just a minus three. And, you know, it, that's one of the – that was one of their big flaws uh, prior to the shutdown. And then, of course, like, uh, like I mentioned, they're still doing really well at getting to the free-throw line, but not fouling so much and putting their – opponent on the line uh do you have any um thoughts on, on just their, their styles offensively yeah offensively? And, and and you know you look at the slight decrease in threes um and that's going to happen when you take marco bellinelli out for three games and you take Bryn mm-hmm. forbes out for four games um because those that's their specialty and even you even further limit you know the three-point attempts when you take patty out for three games on top of that so what you're seeing is guys Stepping up from three, Derek White is shooting. He's a he's shooting better from three. I think before the hiatus, he was twenty. He was in the twenties, like right around twenty-five to twenty-eight percent from three on the season before the bubble. And now he's shooting. I think it's forty percent plus. Uh, he's been on fire. And so when you have those guys, and even even Demar, you know, is shooting a little. He, he's willing to he's willing yeah, he's to take a few, a few, and he's actually made a handful. Or not a handful, but maybe maybe two fingers, uh, two free throw or two three pointers, but that and that's an effect too. When you also look at the decrease in the mid range, is Demar Derozan deferring? So he's not playing forty eight full minutes. He's really just kind of playing that second twenty four, and he's facilitating the first twenty four. So when he's making fewer attempts, you've got these young guys. They really do like to go for the higher efficiency shot, which is going to be closer to the rim. So they're, they're increasing their paint shots because Alani is, is driving to the rim. DeJounte is driving to the rim. Even Derek is trying to drive to the rim. Keldon is driving to the rim. So, and, and that they have the ability to do so. And you don't have a LaMarcus down there kind of clogging up that space. You do have Jakob Pertl, who is one of the best at clearing the lane for him at least for getting down there and having a good opportunity. So we're seeing a smarter offense, which like you said, does better. It does translate to better defense. Maybe the, um, maybe the 
lack of defense in the paint is also keeping teams from shooting the three. So because they're just like, yeah. well, I'll take mm-hmm. this easy two then, which then, you know, when if you can go ahead and, and keep pace with the, t- with the other team from three, uh, like we have with just that minus three, and then you're, you're, you're managing your two as well. I think that the, the piece that really skews that data is the last couple minutes in the Nuggets game when we just we went ice cold and they were just hitting easy twos and you had maybe a couple of cherry pick mm-hmm. opportunities for them and you give up four easy points that way. Uh, I think that that, that game might have skew, maybe skews it a little bit more because I think that through three games we played very even in Orlando. Um, and that was our biggest loss, of course, too, against the Nuggets in terms of score. Uh, so I like what we're seeing. This is a good team. But maybe we just need to see uh, – I think it's time to maybe see the young guys. I want to see a little bit more Quindary, and I want to see a little bit a little bit more of these combinations where you slide DeMar out and you go out there with a Keldon, a Lonnie, and a Derek, you know, yeah, no, no, I'm waiting to see that the four the four um, lineups. I mean, mm-hmm. the four wings together. Yeah, I, I don't think that pops put them out there that, that much already in this in this in this um. Yeah, in, it could get a, this, it could uh, get really season, fun. Season. Yeah, for sure. Uh, r- real quick before we uh, we get ready to close out this episode, um, you had your latest piece up on Project Spurs. Uh, it's called Austin Spurs are the key to the Spurs puzzle taking shape. Um, can you give the, the, the listeners um, just some background? For sure. Um, you know, when you look at the, the Spurs since 2016 and, and the retirement of Tim Duncan, and that's kind of where the decline of the organization started, if you will. But we still had a Kawhi Leonard, and we still had two of the bi- you know, two-thirds of the big three with Tony and Manu uh, to carry us into 17 and then carry us into 18, and that was the hope. Um, and then in 2019, you lose those other three pieces. Uh, DeJounte wasn't quite yet developed. Derek White was just coming off of a G League title with with Austin, and so, and then that summer you go you lose uh, Manu. For, well, first you lose Tony to free agency, then you lose Kawhi to trade, which was writing on the wall, and and that's and it was necessary, but it still happened. And then you lose Manu Ginobili to retirement that August, and. At that point, the centerpiece of the puzzle was no longer clear. And so when you're building a team, you want to be able to know what you're building around. And so there wasn't we, there was a lot of uncertainty as to what this team was building around. So they had to kind of reshuffle the, the puzzle pieces, if you will, to building this roster. And some of those pieces at once were core uh, and kind of may, maybe seemed like a, a middle, the middle portion of a puzzle got pushed to the edges. And now we're just trying to keep this team together. And then how do we build inward? And you saw the approach, and, and hindsight is twenty twenty, right? It really helps when you can kind of look back and, and start to see this how how the organization was putting this puzzle together. But they go out and they get you know mm-hmm. Derek White's development. I think shocked everybody. We we wouldn't have gotten to see it if Dejounte wouldn't have gone down with the ACL, because Derek never would have become starting point guard uh, a quarter of the way through that season and then go on to do what he did in the playoffs too. And where we, where we got to really see his full potential, but we got to see him as a defender that whole year. And so he became a key piece to this roster. And then you have the drafted piece, you're drafting of Lonnie Walker and Lonnie Walker is a great player, but I don't think he's quite a franchise player. And so you have him kind of on the fringe with DeJounte holding the outside together. That makes up your Bryn Forbes, your Lamarcus's, you know, even the trade, uh, of trading of Kawhi for DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl, those guys are more just mid-level puzzle pieces 
that come in and maybe help build around a core, but we didn't quite have a core yet. And then this last draft class where you get your two first round selections and Lucas Shamanich and then the trade piece that came the last trade piece that came in with the from Kawhi Leonard is Keldon Johnson. And those two Keldon Johnson pays off right away. He's a blue chip product, came out of Kentucky, and he was built for this stage. And if you ask some some draft experts, you know, they say that, you know, coming out of high school he was potentially a lottery product and it was actually his time at Kentucky and his lack of use there that, that maybe hurt his draft value because he didn't get to be seen as much and featured as much. And so then, you know, he's he's that next core piece that when you look at the stats, it helps. You know, like we just got done talking about how he matches up with Derek White on both offense and on defense. And then that – so that makes the, the puzzle a little bit clearer. You start to notice who you're going to really start to build around. And I think that Lucas Shamanich is going to be that last – that last puzzle piece that really completes the center of it because it's he's going to be your modern uh, stretch four, stretch five um, that's going to help space the floor. He shoots the three ball well. He, it's not quite efficient yet, but to know that he has a nice fluid motion um, and the right mechanics coming in, that gives the organization something to work with. His size and his ball, you know, his ball handling, especially at his size at six foot ten, maybe six foot eleven if you stretch it. Uh, you know, is is something that you, is necessary in today's NBA, and like we just got done talking about, you know, how how important size has been these last couple games, and so when you start to look at it, uh, and how how they've become the centerpiece of the puzzle, and you look at the overall puzzle pieces you're working with right now, it's one of my favorite stats right now is, and for for Orlando, of the 16 guys to make the trip out to the bubble. Nine of them have Austin roots, and so that's why you see the that uh, the Austin organization and how they have developed in terms of bringing in former Spur Blake Ahern to coach the organization in eighteen, and then that development process since then, how how that has really utilizing Austin the way it has and sending these guys to Austin for a quicker. Uh, more uh, a quicker chance to develop because they'll have more minutes in Austin, and and the the way that the organizations develop these guys together, having them share time at practice, the proximity between Austin and San Antonio, and how involved uh you know the San Antonio staff it has been on the development of these young guys, uh, you can really see how Austin is you know as as you get to the title of the piece, Austin is that key. Uh, element and and developing today's Spurs and put helping put together that puzzle. Yeah, so Spurs guest listeners, you know, definitely check that piece out. It's over on ProjectSpurs.com. Again, it's called Austin Spurs are the key to the Spurs puzzle taking shape by by Jonas. Um, also on Project Spurs, if you visit our site, um, I have a, I have a, a, some film breakdown with some stats also provided. With, it's called Kelton Johnson's twenty points versus the Nuggets and and just the big emphasis there is you know it's pretty much everything um, Jonas and I talked about how he's really just learning how to score without even having um, sets run for him but just just uh, um, you know it's going to be up to him mm-hmm. and his development in the future when they eventually start giving him plays and pick and rolls and stuff how how, what, how does he learn how much growth does he make with that because that, that's that's where really he doesn't have like a, like, like a bar really as far as how, how far his development can go offensively because we know he's going to be a spectacular defensive player down the line and he, he's already showing that now so so that's what that piece is about um, there's also um, a piece called Game Film on the Nuggets' um, fourth quarter threes that I, that I that I created 
uh, Steven, Steven Anderson's continued to keep you all, um, you know, um, notified of what's going on with these games. So he's providing recaps after every game. Uh, like Jonas mentioned, he's a guest on Joe Garcia's show that called the Spurs Takeover Post Game Show. So make sure you check that out each night after a Spurs game, and then and then it it comes on live the next day on ProjectSpurs.com if you want to, if you missed that show. Um, and then lastly, um, going back to that loss to the Sixers where where um, Shake Milton hit that critical three. I, I did a video just kind of breaking down the last minute of, of how the Spurs lost that game. So thanks again to Jonas for, for joining me here on the Spurs cast. Thank you also to Michael DeLeon for producing this episode. From all of us at Project Spurs, stay safe and have a great day. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O.